This is Jordan Grace, and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder, James Boyd came to give them life. The Blackest Wrestling Podcast has come to kick all ass and drop his six feet if they're kicking trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting there, then this on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five Before you hit a talk, bob your head side to side It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning It's Rich, and I'm here with James It's time to listen to One Nation The power of this is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, this is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. That's all it counts to me. Goodbye and good night. Hey. Welcome to the December 4th edition of One Nation Radio. My name is Rich Latta. And um, unfortunately, James is not joining us this week. He ended up last minute uh, having to attend to a family matter. So I'll be holding it down um, tonight uh, alone on this show. Uh, We have a lot of great topics to talk about. And um, this weekend, you know, just a lot of crazy stuff went down in the college football world. Today is December 4th, uh, which is Jay-Z's birthday. Uh, My opinion, uh, probably the greatest rapper of all time. just thinking about uh, Jay-Z, he's uh, someone that I took a lot of influence from in my early years uh, as an MC, and even to this day, just seeing all the moves that that he's made and everything like that, I just loved uh, his albums that came out pretty much at the end of every year from like 96 to 2003. It was just uh, a run that I think is like in unlike any other personally. Really, you know, was a big fan of Rockefeller Records and um, just a big happy birthday to Jay-Z uh, turning 54 years old today. Love to see, um, you know, the the great rappers uh, age. Um, but in other news, uh, I guess we should get to it. Florida State robbed and not put in the top four of the college football power rankings. I I believe that's how you say it. Um, I haven't paid as much attention this year, but I I got really involved this last weekend just because I thought the scenarios were so crazy. Uh, There was going to be nastiness somewhere. And uh, the Florida State Twitter uh, has been going pretty much insane. All kinds of backwards compliments, uh, straight up outrage. Uh, Shout out to my boy Floyd. He was very upset. We watched the decision live together. And um, Floyd, not usually the, um, you know, the most foul mouthed individual, <laughs> uh, immediately yelled, they fucked us like and this was uh, he was a little bit ahead of me. So uh, I am a Florida State fan as well. Uh, but nowhere near like James and Floyd because they have way more years in this thing than me. Um, it it was really interesting because, you know, I felt like everyone thought Michigan and Washington were getting in. Um, then, you know, it comes down to the battle of Alabama, Texas, and then Florida state, um, Florida state, of course, lost Jordan Travis and then Georgia messed around and lost the sec championship to Alabama. So 
And then Texas defeated Alabama head-to-head. So it was like, well, who was going to get left out? And um, I was kind of shocked because, obviously, this is the first time, you know, a Power 5 team that was undefeated, didn't lose any games, uh, has been told it doesn't matter, get it like a Red Cross, uh, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Um, the thing that really jumped out to me was hearing them talk about the – um, availability of your team uh, is going to be uh, basically like who's available, who's injured, uh, and they're taking that into account. When I saw that line, I, I kind of thought it might be bad for Florida State, uh, and it turns out it was. Uh, there are two schools of thought on this, I believe. Uh, I don't, don't want to put words in his mouth. James kind of predicted this stuff, so it wasn't really uh, something you know he felt like when Jordan Travis went down, that was like the season going up in smoke itself. Um, there are a lot of different theories on this thing. Whether Jordan Travis was healthy, would they have put him in or not? Uh, is this a network dis- decision with ESPN? Is this all just a big money grab? Because it's not like, you know, Washington is going to be driving the ratings or anything like that. Uh, or is it just you play in the SEC so you get carte blanche uh, to do what you want? There are a lot of great arguments for everyone. Georgia, of course, you know, they're 29-0. and uh, the last, you know, 29 game winning streak, they finally lose and now they're out. Uh, I guess that's just the way the ball bounces. Uh, Saban gets to play uh, the underdog role with perhaps the most talented team in the country aside from the quarterback position. Uh, and Michigan, not happy. Uh, if you guys saw that video uh, where uh, they, they find out that they're not playing Florida State and they're playing Alabama and it just looked like someone died in the room. Um, so. Um, we're looking at uh, Washington and Texas and then Michigan versus Alabama. Um, the young boy, Joshua Smith, is a Michigan fan. So um, there's going to be, you know, pick your favorite social suplex uh, people that are not Florida State fans. Um, and uh, I, I think for now I'm going to root for Texas, uh, get get this anarchy uh, to, to keep going. Uh, I, I don't want Tex- uh, Michigan to win. I do not want Alabama to win. I'll go with Texas uh, and see if the SEC fans try to claim that uh, as a championship as they <laughs> like to claim things, whether they win them or not. Um, but moving on from college football, we got huge news in the world of pro wrestling that broke uh, this afternoon. Now, the Kazushka Okada uh, becomes a free agent. People have interest in him. These stories go around quite regularly. And sometimes it is like, oh, okay, yeah, this is something we all know. Or there's a new wrinkle in this thing. So the new wrinkle in this thing, I guess we should uh, pull up a story. It was Sports Illustrated uh, that, that you know, put this thing out there. And, uh, Kazusha Okada is set to become a free agent in 2024. Um, so how it goes, I believe this is Justin Barrasso. So to face New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Kazusha Okada's current contract expires at the end of January with a deal uh, under New Japan that would be typical anyway. Uh, Kazusha Okada is 36 years old, and he's seriously entertained the possibility of wrestling for a different promotion. Um, immediately, everyone started saying, oh, oh shit, it's time to bring Okado back to TNA. Saw people calling for Toriyaman. I've seen people saying Noah should offer him a contract. Uh, I think it really comes down to two places. And apparently, uh, when Okada wrestled on Dynamite in October, the purpose of his trip was not to solely advance the feud with Brian Danielson for Wrestle Kingdom, but that was 
a essentially a Kazushka Okada recruitment trip. Um, and that kind of gave him the chance to, uh, you know, kind of evaluate AW and, you know, see, you know, if, if that would be a place for him. Um, sh- should he opt to exit New Japan? Uh, of course, you know, Triple H has won this guy for years. Uh, they've got Shinsei Nakamura there, his former Chaos uh, mate. Uh, they got Finn Balor, who's obviously familiar with him, AJ Styles. they got, you know, people who kind of has, uh, you know, crossed paths with in the past. Um, of course, I wouldn't want to see that or anything because, you know, who wants to see people end their careers by signing with WWE? Um, just, you know, probably be doomed to boredom. And I don't know. I, I don't think, you know, handing Kazushi Okada a mic on live television might be the way to go. I don't I, – I, I struggle to, to feel like they would know how to present him well. But – you know, looking at it, there are uh, a lot of things to think about uh, with Kazusha Okada possibly going somewhere like AEW. Can Kazusha Okada finally get his official, uh, you know, Young Bucks uh, style merch? Not trying on Matt Jackson stuff, not trying on Nick Jackson. Uh, we we got to get the real Rainmaker, uh, you know, clothing and <laughs> everything like that. Uh, jokes aside, um, I don't think... This would actually like if Kazusha Okada jumps, he jumps. Whatever, uh, whether he goes to AEW, I would like it. I you know, AEW is my favorite promotion. I would love to see a, a guy that obviously has all this history uh, with these guys. You know, come over and you know they would. He would obviously be used. You know how he's used. Um, but as far as like for the health, I think of the wrestling business. Uh, I don't think my initial like want would be for Okada to sign with either WWE or AEW. I would want him to stay in new Japan pro wrestling. Like there's nothing to me that like Kazusha Okada will never be bigger in any other promotion than he would be in new Japan pro wrestling. Um, could this be a financially re- related thing? Okada's wife is rich. Okada has been paid well for a long time, but you never know, man. Like, um, you know who knows he who's to say he hasn't talked to uh will osprey and will was like yeah old barry uh you know showed me this number and i lost my mind and then kazusha okada was like well bushi road what you got and if he's you know putting this stuff out to put pressure on them to try to price up good for him he deserves it um i think that Okada as a wrestler right now is more valuable to New Japan Pro Wrestling. They should do everything they can to re- retain his services and help, uh, you know, have him usher in their next class. Because I tell you, if Will Ospreay and Kazushika Okada leave without, like, really helping or losing to the next era, there's going to be some upset people. Um I, I think there would be a couple of other funny outcomes. I would see a lot of the, uh, you know, your more hardcore New Japan fans that are very upset about anything that happens with AEW. I might actually have to shoot them some bail on this one. Um, and I think that, <laughs> it, like, yeah, if you're talking about the partnership with New Japan and, uh, and AEW, I don't see how if you're like a, a a bang the drum New Japan Pro Wrestling fan, if you feel like all your guys are getting taken uh, from them by like Tony Khan, like I don't see how Kazusha Okada doing that. You're not wanting to rip uh, essentially this whole thing up and start anew. Um, you know, then on the other hand, it's like, well, maybe 
this is a case where it would force New Japan to rip the Band-Aid off to really start going with that next era like a lot of us are, are clamoring for them to do. Uh, if it was my company, I'd be thinking about how Yoda Shuji is the world champion by the next time they roll into Forbidden Door. Um, you know, hell, the, do, can we get to New Beginning and Yoda Suji is the champion and then really just start going with those next guys? Um, there's a lot of different ways this this could go. And I, I don't think AW or New Japan or WWE necessarily need Okada, but he's like an ultimate luxury. He's, he's a guy that's obviously just like one of the most premier wrestlers of this era. And he's, you know, he's got a lot of miles. Uh, this guy's like, you know, he's got a fucked up neck and uh, he's, he's had lots of wars and different G ones and lots of legendary Tokyo dome matches. There's not really anywhere for him to ascend to uh, in new Japan. So maybe there's part of him that's like, yeah, I want to want to go abroad and, and do that. But for me personally, I think for the best of, of wrestling, I think Bushi road better find the money, find the yen, um, because if, if they don't, I'll welcome them with open arms into, uh, us wrestling and, um, uh, you know, in particular AEW, I think, you know, there are a lot of great opportunities there, you know, a lot of history, obviously with Will Ospreay, Kenny Omega, um, you know, who wouldn't want Okada and Omega five on, uh, a show like Wembley stadium or something like that, um, you know, there's just uh, the the long rumored Kazuchika Okada and the Young Bucks trio. Uh, of course, you know he'd be standing aside from someone like Brian Danielson. Um, you know, new people he hasn't faced like Swerve, people that he faced early in their careers that are not the same. Hangman Page, of course, Jay White and Okada have lots of history. So like, there's guys everywhere you look. Uh, you know, the let the pillars, uh, you know, we got comments, uh, Brewhaven saying Okada and Darby Allen, that'd be like an interesting match. See if he could speed Okada up. We know Okada doesn't like young guys, so he can just import that Jumbo Saruta like gimmick on over. Um, should, should he jump? But, um, I don't, I, I don't think that Okada should do this. Like, I, I think he should remain in New Japan Pro Wrestling and continue to, you know, add. To, to his greatness by wrestling the the next class and then, you know, do do his thing. I, I think he's someone, you know, that's just such a special performer. He can write his own ticket. Um, these companies should be on their knees begging uh, for him for, uh, you know, their services. And, you know, there's got to be ways to, uh, to, to, to either, if you're New Japan, you need to, know how to treat this guy special going forward, have him, you know, remain, whether he's in an office position, uh, whether he's, you know, just this emeritus style ace, continue to be like this signature guy. Cause like I, if you're new Japan pro wrestling, if you lose this guy, I think you got to tear this entire thing down and start it over. Um, and that means going as young as possible. And then possibly, you know, you're scaling back for a couple years without Okada. Uh, I know people would say, yeah, we got Tetsuya Naito. He's a huge draw. There's like LIJ and yes, there, there is. But on the other side of that always was Okada. And <laughs> there's something to, to rebel against. Um, Tanahashi's like, who knows how long he's going to be around it would be a lot of rebuilding and you know, 
I, I, I got people talking about Sonata in the comments. I, I'm sorry, Sonata's not the answer. Like, Sonata's not going to captivate uh, the audience and the imagination uh, like Kazushika Okada has for a decade plus. Uh, you know, Tomohiro Ishii is 47 uh, years old. So it's, it's, it's a lot to think about. I would not want to lose Kazushika Okada uh, under any circumstances. So let's uh, keep it rolling here i got the uh next thing here obviously cm punk returned to monday night raw um and that was a interesting promo to say the least cm punk uh last week came out on raw we were on the air live kind of as it or not live we were recording as it was happening and you guys caught some of our natural reaction to this stuff as it was coming in on Twitter. And I saw it. I watched the promo a, a day later. And it was odd, for one. I didn't see the crowd reaction or anything like with the entrance and everything like that. But, man, you talk about a guy that looked dead behind the eyes. You talk about a guy that is saying these almost insincere sounding things. Uh, you know, this man CM Punk himself called it a personal moral failure. If he's ever back in WWE, um, it is, it is interesting to see this guy clearly showing up for the check when it seems like this was never him, but maybe this is who it was underneath all that. And I think, you know, I don't know who's eating the crow between CM Punk or his fans or anything like that. But um, I, I heard it. the the pro, The promo didn't make me excited about a future opponent. It didn't make me excited about what he his mission statement is. Um, he he turns to the camera. You know, after he did all the 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 monologuing with the mic and you know he does you know one of those off the camera where he's like yeah man i'm here to make friends not money then it's like i saw people desperately trying to turn this into like oh this is this is all oh, this is what we came for it's like no man y'all know what a, a lightning style cm punk promo is like y'all know what it feels like because i was there you were there for the pipe bomb i was there when he cut a promo face to face with the rock and out talked him. I was there watching rampage when he cut the, I returned to professional wrestling promo. When we're talking about those promos in this guy and that level, what you saw last Monday was not that. And there was a, I, I believe it was Joe Lanza was talking about it. Uh, he said, you know, there's a stark difference on the feeling, uh, you know, after Survivor Series, they blow the roof off with this guy. Twitter's ablaze, everything like that. But after Monday, it was jokes. It it was people beating this guy down, saying, you know, WWE bought a bad bag of dope. People, you know, looked at this promo as just heartless, especially like with this guy, like, um, you know, coming out here and saying he's home of all things this company that you know he was in litigation with this company that he shat on for years and years and years you know it's it's not particularly compelling to me um but i see 
how people could, you know, get wrapped up in this thing. I'm, I'm going to try to try to take it, you know, to that level. Uh, but when, when I saw this, I was like, yo, there's no way Triple H didn't laugh himself like into tears a- after seeing this. It's like, yep, like, like y'all seen that Drewski video. Got him. We fucking got him. Like, there, there's no way that, that, that Triple H isn't doing a fist pump calling Vince McMahon like, like we won. Like, I, I don't know how if you are a, uh, a huge CM Punk supporter, you feel good about this. Like, I at best, you can be like, well, maybe they'll treat him better. And it's like, yo, you know, I, I think you can look at something like him getting stuck in the third hour, him not getting to touch that commercial-free part of the show. Like, yo, we're going to give that to Randy Orton. Their, their guy that's been there for 20 years uh, that's coming off the injury and everything like that. What we're going to do is give you the end of this show, see if you can hold them and really test, you know, who's here for you. And I think they did a decent number, um, you know, that, but he's not being protected the way that he was uh, in AEW. Like as far as like, yeah, we're, we're putting you on not near any ad breaks. We're putting you on at eight o'clock top of the hour. And, you know, Big CM, like, this is a whole new, uh, you know, playing field as far as, uh, you know, compared to what he did in AEW. But I- I'm just glad as the weeks go by with this stuff, we know who this guy's, uh, you know, what his priorities were, who he always kind of wanted to be with, as I mentioned previously on the shows. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with what he wanted to do, you know, with his career. He The place that he wanted to come back to originally was WWE. Did the backstage. Um, you know, COVID happened. He then inquired with WWE again. Vince McMahon said, hell no. Then he reached out to Tony Khan. They had the whole deal with uh, CM Punk basically saying, I want them to stop talking about me and the text message stuff. And Cody was talking about it. And then finally CM Punk comes in. A lot of relitigation on, you know, his, his role in, in, in these things. And uh, you, you see just this revisionist history uh, about a lot of this stuff. And it's like, we were all there. Why do we have to, um, <laughs> you know, dress it up to be something that, that it wasn't? It's like, you know, it reeks of people not being able to accept how it ended for him in All Elite Wrestling, which was a firing of cause. And... Now he's in WWE. I think if you're, you know, if you're rooting for CM Punk to either correct his career or you're just like, yo, fuck it. Like, you know, you're going to stick it to him. He's going to be the person uh, in WWE now that you wanted him to be in AEW. I just don't know if that's going to happen. And I feel like I can give it 12 months um, generously. And as far as like last Monday night, like just uncompelling for me. And it was just like, Technically, like, you know, the the way he's speaking into the microphone and, and doing the monologue, he nails all that, right? But, like, you're looking for him to, like, really bite down onto something. This was not even, like, that collision, the first collision promo, as scatterbrained as that one was. This one, I didn't even have a clue, like, who he would really be facing off with. And, um, of course, you know, people say, yeah, you know, early in the show, they had Seth Rollins call him a hypocrite. I don't care about Seth Rollins. What if I just tuned in to see CM Punk? So, like, what did he do to really bring us back next week? I don't really think they gave us much aside from, yo, just the novelty of CM Punk's going to be on SmackDown next week. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm looking at it. So, 
and, and you know how I know this promo did not go over in ways where it was like, yeah, man, they're shaking the table with this one. Immediately, they were jumping out the next day with, oh, they're thinking about CM Punk versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm sorry, man. It's not 2012. It's not 2013. Stone Cold already came back. Stone Cold already wrestled the match against Kevin Owens. Now, if you're going to say, yo, now we're going to get a chance to promote Stone Cold Steve Austin ahead of time to do this thing, cool. What's the storyline going to be at all? Is Stone Cold Steve Austin going to be like defending the good name of WWE? Is this just going to be a something simple as simple as Stone Cold likes to drink beer and CM Punk is straight edge? That stuff feels 10 to 15 years too late. And this would be what I would call a big, dumb WrestleMania match should it happen. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's WrestleMania does a lot of those. The, the big, dumb WrestleMania match, I'm sure if I laid it all down on paper, you would probably be able to, like, figure out what that year's particular big, dumb WrestleMania match is. Um, could you possibly get some good promos? Maybe. But these are two guys that obviously didn't want, you know, creatively to, you know, just do anything. And asking Austin to come in for this, I feel like there would need to be some, like, major, major uh, creative liberties, like, basically uh, agreed to. First, how the hell are they going to work this match? Because CM Punk is going to need to bump around and, you know, structure everything for Austin. Could he do it? I don't know. Based on how CM Punk has looked this year, he's been able to rise to the occasion in the match like his Wembley Stadium match. But some of the matches like with Ricky Starr, just week to week on TV, they were weird. <laughs> Let, let's just keep it a stack, man. They were weird. They were unathletic. They were not necessarily taking the biggest bumps in the world. So him with Austin, it seems like it would just be a, a walking brawl. Um, it was it, it would be something to where it would just be some lowest common denominator wrestling. It would be the mother and the absolute father of Bret Hart tributes because, you know, of course he would want to redo as much as Survivor Series 96 as he could, as much as WrestleMania 13 as he could. But I'm telling you, Austin, I don't even know how old Austin is right now. Let me uh, pull pull this up. Stone Cold Steve Austin age. Stone Cold Steve Austin is 58 years old. He will be 59 next week. Now, Austin is almost 60 years old, rounded up. I don't know what he's really remotely capable of at this point. This is somebody, you know, if you want to compare him to Sting, go ahead. You know, Sting is maybe forcing us how to reconsider an older wrestler, but Austin Sting was like a hundred times more active than Austin in the years leading up. And like stone stings like a, he's been a freak of nature. Austin was too, but in a different way, sting is like an athletic Marvel, you know, in his youth. And I think with Austin, this coming back like this, it would feel weird. It would be like, Oh, well, why didn't you come and face CM Punk 
in like 2013. You probably could have did it then. So like that whole thing feels weird to me. So like that coming out immediately, I'm like, oh, they want us to shift the focus off of how like kind of mid this promo was, right? <laughs> they they then floated stories about Seth Rollins being the initial opponent. And whatever, we all kind of expected that with with the whole thing, but I can't think of a whacker feud to enter the company with. One, it's funny because it's Seth Rollins having to defend the honor of WWE, which never, and I mean never, turns out well. If his whole thing is rooted in CM Punk saying, saying CM Punk's a hypocrite, CM Punk's going to turn around and be like, so what? And then Rollins is dead in the water. And then the match... I don't think that'll be really that good. I feel like we're this is a three and a quarter special um, staring us in the face. And they coupled this Rollins story with saying, oh, yeah, eventually we'd like to get him in there with Roman Reigns. You got to do the match. Like, I'm not even disputing that. You have to do CM Punk versus Roman Reigns if you're WWE, preferably <laughs> like in sometime before, like maybe SummerSlam, maybe that's your SummerSlam main event or something like that. If it's me, I want to get as many big CM Punk matches booked before he self self destructs. But um, I, I'm not the audience for the CM Punk uh, Roman Reigns feud right now. Uh, but it would be this. There would be all time nasty uh, discourse around this match with people just taking all types of liberties with history. Uh, and that goes for the fans as well as the company. Uh, if CM Punk starts doing the monologues mid-match Brewhaven, I think I will just just fall down out my chair laughing. Uh, where does Cody Rose play into this CM Punk stuff? Because I, I got to say, some of, the, some of the stuff Cody is saying feels like a man walking a thin line where he's like, yo, I have my own business to tend to right now. And I don't need him becoming a nuisance for me, whether it's blocking me from where I need to go or getting myself tied down with him and his muck. If he wants to do business the correct way, I think Cody will do business with him. Right. But man, the CM Punk Cody WWE feud being about <laughs> who did what on the outside of the company just doesn't seem like things that they would write. So that tends, you know, that leads me to think that it would end up being about something goofy. So, <laughs> um, oh no, man, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and, and these are all things that have not been planted on television or anything. This is through, backstage interviews like you know with with news excuse me with media outlets uh oh my god cody and D punk's dogs feud oh my god um <laughs> pharaoh versus larry <laughs> who y'all got in the shoot please let me know can't, can't, there's no way cm punk's dog it can do something with pharaoh there's no way um so i think I should probably start talking about dog fighting on this show, um, <laughs> especially being this close to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, like I am, which is where Michael Vick used to play, which is where, yeah, let's 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 move on. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Doctor Larry, no, we're not doing no dog fighting here, Jesus. Um, but yeah, man, um, 
ultimately, I think I thought this was pretty uncompelling. Like as far as like a week one, I didn't think this necessarily brought anyone back. And they they stuck this promo at the end of a fucking horrible show. People were telling me the cage match uh, bots couldn't even save this, and this was like a um, chance for people to really uh, show the the new WWE quote unquote to. All the folks like like us and you know people like myself and maybe you that don't watch WWE anymore. If you do, you know, um, I, I imagine that you saw this show and was like, "Oh, this is this is not hidden. Uh, this is a chance, I think, to try to win a couple people over who are like, "Yeah, man, I don't want to watch WWE, but I want to see what CM Punk's got going on. Maybe I'll lock in." And they're booking shit like Randy Orton and Dom Mysterio, never-ending tag team turmoil matches, and it's like. They they just didn't give anybody a reason. What what did Tracy Chapman say? Give me one reason to stay here. They they did not do that. So um, let's see. Uh, Brew Haven says, Rich, which belt has more prestige, the AEW Real World's Championship or the WWE World Heavyweight Championship V two? Man, that is a great question. You know, um. Seeing as how there were only two matches for the AEW Real World Championship with the X on it, it spent primarily most of its time in a bag, inactive for a long time. Even, you know, someone like, just like you laid this out on, on paper, I think you got to say the WWE World Heavyweight title that Rollins has been carrying around, the fake uh, joint, the... Uh, <laughs> The bronze medal, as we've called it on this show. Um, you know, yeah, Zaxxon, uh, congratulations for surviving FOH. We, yes, yes. So uh, we're going to wrap up the CM Punk talk. I think this is uh, an evolving story. Uh, if he does anything remotely interesting, we'll talk about it. Uh, but as far as like him having anything to say about AEW, he can't. He's on NDA. Uh, and that shit is tight as hell. Um, so, you know, people were maybe looking for things that weren't there with the, with the promo he cut, but he's, he's been defanged and how valuable really is a defanged CM Punk. So the youngest guy in the world. And this guy is going to, his superstar is going to be determined through his promos and his personality. What's he have to really be upset about? We will see. Last Saturday, we recorded the FOH draft, which is the seventh annual edition uh, of <laughs> us basically getting together for around Christmas time, uh, drinking, you know, our choice, our beverage of choice, and shooting on the business all the the hot topics and kind of lightning rod topics and ranting and you know giving it to people and we did it kind of you know we did it at my uh in-laws uh place so big shout out to them for uh making it happen and we were able to do it in person uh, which was really cool so uh, fortunately we didn't like record video or anything but there is a video that i believe may be around um, there is a great section of the show that kind of culminates at the end 
with chops being unleashed. Um, <laughs> and you guys will see exactly what I'm talking about. But um, for those of you that are new uh, to listening to One Nation Radio or the Soul Suplex Podcast Network, Keeping It Strong Style, this is a show between myself, James Boyd, uh, Jeremy Donovan, Joshua Smith of Keeping It Strong Style. And this is a paid show. So uh, all year we, we do all this, you know, the, the, these podcasts and, you know, streams and all this stuff free of charge. We'll let you guys, you know, hang out and stuff like that. And uh, appreciate the subscription, uh, Awkward Turtle. And we uh, charge for this show. And the thing is, we don't charge a specific number. We let you determine that. Uh, it's kind of a pay what you want model. So, uh, if you want, you, we've had people pay $50 for this thing before we've had people pay a hundred dollars for this show. Uh, would I like someone to pay, uh, you know, a thousand dollars for the show? Sure. I would love that. Uh, but whatever it is, you know, it is worth every penny that you, that you, um, spend for. I know you guys like, we don't want to, um, you know, just, just ask for your money. We want to earn it. And, uh, I, I would definitely like to, uh, smash the years that we had uh, previously every year. The FOH draft that has been a paid show, it has gone up, uh, as far as like overall revenue. And I would love for that to continue. Um, I believe there may be a teaser out, uh, this weekend, uh, which you guys may see, uh, like a little video, uh, as well. Uh, and then I believe the week after that, maybe when we release it. So uh, check out Keeping a Strong Style. Also, they'll probably talk about it tonight as well. We haven't ironed out a date exactly, but it's it's always a happening with the FOH. And um, FOH stands for fuck out of here. Uh, and it's a draft. So we, we put those lightning rod topics in, you know, and we draft them in, you know, in a circle snake wise. And then we have a lightning round in between that. You never know what, you know, (laughs) is going to pop up. I want to say like the, um, the, the first 20 minutes of it is just absolutely hilarious. Like you can never plan, uh, uh, how good, you know, that felt and how funny that stuff seemed. Um, but yeah, man, don't do not miss the FOH draft. It is a sensational listen. So, um, moving on from there, the Continental Classic. So, the Continental Classic has been a, a breath of fresh air, I think, to AEW programming with uh, a lot of the kind of streamlined matches as far as like, yo, there's no interference. There's not a lot of like fuckery surrounding all this stuff. I think the promos have been great. Uh, everyone from Jay White to Swerve Strickland, uh, Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson, all these guys kind of cutting these promos in unique settings to uh, accentuate their stories uh, in this thing. And you would think it is a very easy kind of thing to follow. Uh, there are two blocks. You know, every time you win a match, you get three points. Every time you draw a match, it's one point. If you lose a match, you get jack shit. And the people at the end of the tournament with the most points in each block, they're going to face each other one-on-one to see who wins. You would think this is the easiest part of, you know, understanding this shit, but never, and I mean never, underestimate the world's dumbest people. The people who do not actually want to engage with their product in good faith. 
the people who will feign confusion at a round robin tournament as if it is not something that happens in college football or pro sports across the landscape. People who cannot add three plus three, as Seth Rich Rogan says in the comments. Uh, people who, no matter how it is explained to them, whether a video package, a graphic, by the commentary, they don't want to figure it out. They don't want to get it. The more angry these people get or claim to get, I think the better. The more AEW should lean into this because that will weed out the audience that I think AEW at times has tried to chase this year because of pressure from, you know, whether it's, you know, ratings pressure, trying to nail down the next TV deal or anything like that. But the C2 has been a really like a watershed moment in the intelligence. (laughs) And I don't even know. I don't even know if intelligence is the right word to say. I would say just like, yo, like how people react to things in AEW, them trying to not do things how they were done uh, in North America. This is also uh, one thing too, like when people start claiming that they've been watching NXT and NXT is the best show and all this shit. Stop me if I'm wrong, but didn't NXT do like have done like mini G ones, like the last two years. So like, Maybe it's not even all that different from what WWE is doing, right? However, the G1 itself has been round robin. Champions Carnival, round robin. So, obviously, unless we are willing to call ourselves stupider than the Japanese fans as a collective, which... I don't really believe they are. I think fans are fans anywhere, pretty much. And people get blinded and wrapped up in their biases and, you know, whatever company they want to, you know, go up for, they will feign confusion um, at, at not understanding what the other one is doing at a particular time. I think it is not worth listening to them uh, as far as the C2. It's very straightforward, very easy, and I think it is uh, something that, is earning its place in the AEW calendar, and I hope they keep around because <clears throat> so many cool stories uh, just just going into this thing. So many uh, just nice matches that have been happening with with guys, and you know I had my reservations about uh, how the C two will work. The with primarily being like it not being the square focus of the promotion. I think it needs to be at least on par with the world title at minimum rather than uh, something that's kind of in its own world. Uh, I I wish more of uh, the people that were in different storylines were in this thing, but this has given uh, uh, the guys that are in it a a lot of room to kind of, kind of play with the format and really make this thing um, their, you know, thing, thing known. Um, And what better way to, you know, there are people that think, hey, maybe this thing's a bunch of matches and everything like that. And on its simplest base level, yes, it is a lot of matches, right? However, in those matches, the narratives are just attached to them. Like, the stories build themselves, really. And I think, obviously, this is not something these people understand yet but should they engage in good faith they will uh, uh, figure that out but 
Um, the C2, I think, you know, just arguing with the dumbest people in the world, you will never win this and you will never um, convert them. And they will be the people that continue to, you know, drive the negativity around, um, you know, your product. So um, let's, uh, you know, move forward. I, you know, I talked about uh, the C2 matches. Let's talk about AW Dynamite last week. Um, we had three uh, matches on there. It was John Moxley and Jay Lethal, uh, Jay White and Swerve Strickland main eventing, and Mark Briscoe and Roosh. Loved all three of these matches. Um, I thought Moxley and Lethal, I'll start there, uh, was a re- – I'm not really even a fan of, of like, limb selling and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. But I thought Jay Lethal was – uh, working John Moxley's leg in a pretty entertaining fashion, and this one, actually, I was I was into this like quite a lot. Um, one thing I think they are m- missing the boat on so far uh, are upsets in, in this tournament. Maybe they're still to come, but usually when you're coming out, you know the 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 blocks, you want to kind of get to that stuff faster and let people know anything can happen. Um, as far as Mox and Lethal, Mox got the three points. And uh, he moved on um, from beating him. Brian Danielson was on commentary for all these matches, and he was phenomenal as a commentator. Um, and I guess <laughs> there's no better time since I'm talking about Brian Danielson than to talk about the leader of discipline, uh, <laughs> so to say, Brian Danielson. So also uh, caught up in these stories, Brian Danielson tweeted out something to the effect of, you know, doing the right thing. It's not always going to make you the most money. It's not always going to be popular, but it's going to be the right thing to do. Hashtag AW. And he put a heart. People were kind of like wondering what the hell is that? And immediately my eyebrows were raised. And then, you know, it was confirmed that Danielson was a part of a discipline committee. And I saw them flip on Brian Danielson of all people. A man with a pristine reputation inside of wrestling. A man that has worked in a creative capacity. He has obviously been a 20-year veteran. And he is someone that people think is friends with CM Punk. And, you know, they have obviously been connected as, uh, you know, wrestlers for, for years and years. Going back to, I believe there was an indie show that was in Tampa. It was like FIP. 2004 they were fighting each other or something like that and um you know they were in ring of honor and um you know had lots of matches against each other in wwe and um i think people saw this as like some type of betrayal and all that i'm just here to let you know brian danielson did not owe cm punk anything nobody owes him he owes him fairness professionalism and to evaluate the, you know, situation as, you know, as he sees fit. And, you know, in Danielson's stance, you know, as it was said, was like, yo, obviously CM Punk doesn't want to be here anymore. And he, based on everything that's happened, he probably shouldn't be here anymore. So Danielson, not the sole leader of this thing, it was, you know, with legal professionals as lawyers and, you know, HR people all kind of making up this committee and Danielson kind of being the wrestler representative of this thing. If it wasn't going to be Danielson, who would you want on the committee, I ask? Would you want Kenny Omega on the committee? Would you like Matt Jackson or Nick Jackson on the committee? Would you like Christopher Daniels on the committee? Would you like several other people that this man ostracized on the committee? Would you like Colt Cabana on the committee? 
You know, <laughs> would you like Jack Perry on the committee? Would you like Chris Jericho on the committee? No. So no matter who it is, uh, they're going to be the enemy, huh? That's what it seems like here. However, it's it was like collective amnesia swept over um, the the mindless. Maybe that's how, how I'll refer to these people: the mindless uh, minions, and not to be confused with Athena's minions. Um, it was like they forgot Tony Khan walked out on stage and fired CM Punk in Chicago and basically said, yeah, man, we had a committee. They made a unanimous recommendation to me, which I have the sole decision and the final decision to fire CM Punk. It's like this never happened. They're looking for any ways to not put it to CM Punk. It was always he had to get railroaded somehow, right? And they did it in Chicago. He had a collision schedule for that night. He had a pay-per-view scheduled the next night. He walked in there and fired his ass. And then the roster came out there and balled out. This is not Brian Danielson's fault. This is not any other person's fault except Phil Brooks. The only thing I ask is can you deal with it? Because if you're not, if you, if you can't, it's okay. Admit it. Say, hey, this really affects me. This uh, changes how I watch professional wrestling because I'm so invested in CM Punk and just whatever he does, I'm going to follow. But unfortunately for the rest of us that live in the real world that can <laughs> evaluate situations like adults, obviously the disciplinary committee could figure it out. So I don't know what the grand conspiracy is supposed to be here. When I have to watch people that are sons of one of the greatest rappers of all time come out on Twitter and just argue with Sean Ross sap to death, I don't understand it. I'm lost. I I, I think that it is a, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate situation really because I would count myself amongst the the CM Punk fans uh, at, at one time. Like, yo, this is this is the guy we ride with. This is the guy we show up for, right? But yo, let's look at it. Let's look at what happened. I I, I don't know how you you continue to call this person a leader, unless you just think, hey, this person's entitled to act uh, however way they want, and it's okay. Like if if that's it, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I'm the wrong person here. But Brian Danielson, he went in there and did a job. I'm sure a, a job he didn't ask for, a, a job that he didn't want to be responsible for. But he basically was like, yeah, man. So he, he was obviously looked at for a reason. Like, yo, you can make a fair decision. And unless you want to come out here and give me this, laundry list of things that Brian Nelson has fucked up and then hold it up into, um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, this CM Punk thing is the latest among them. I got nothing for you, Jack. Like, uh, great comment. Punk fans act like punk is some persecuted minority. That's because CM Punk is so great at his job at convincing everyone the world has wronged CM Punk. It's easy to whip up a base. We see it all through all uh, walks across like many uh, 
you guys know what I'm trying to say. Across many walks of life, we see people whipping up the bass. So, <laughs> um, it, it it's interesting, man. And I I don't know, uh, you know what it's going to take for. I, I don't know if this is going to follow Danielson. I don't think it will. Danielson's just going to continue being one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and then handling any other situation that he gets asked in on, probably with class and integrity. That, that that's kind of what it seems like. And, you know, if, if we, if we start comparing records, I don't know why, um, we would look at Danielson's record and then look at punk's record and say, punk is the one that we need to stand behind. Danielson's the problem. I, I, I just don't, don't think you're of sound logic here. Uh, Zach Maki has a comment. He says, rich, nothing Jack Perry did warranted punk going off, especially if you're making multi-millions. All he had to do was tell Tony to handle that. Throwing away money like that makes me think he just wanted to be done at that point. Um, maybe so, but you would think you would, I feel like he was compelled to act this way because he's not going to act like this in WWE. I feel like it was a respect thing. I feel like even though CM Punk was given the world, the world was not enough. Um, Dr. Larry, Danielson cleaning up when Punk leaves the territory. It's happened twice. This is three times. Seth Ridge Rogan. I'm sure the people will now decide that Danielson is part of the grand conspiracy and they'll get banned from Twitter, and that will be that. All right, we got James here. Uh, I'm going to loop him in to speak about Florida State. You guys are going to hear a cut in this podcast recording because uh, I was able to get James here to uh, talk about uh, the Florida State Seminoles. And um, it is, you know, probably about 50 minutes later since I last talked to him. So, James, what's going on, man? I mean, look, it's been a a really weird uh, 48 hours for me. Um, not just the Florida State stuff, but like right now, um, I just got a family situation going on. And luckily, I was able to stick my head out just to reach out to people because so many people, um, I guess because of the show, know I'm a huge Florida State fan and they want to know my perspective on this. And they were expecting some epic rant and everything. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I don't have a, I don't have much of an epic rant. I mean, there, there are things that I'm pissed off about, but I don't have the, you know, the all-time flame-throwing Fuck that whole committee, send them all straight to the, to the pits of hell type of thing. I, I just don't have it. I never had it. I didn't have it when it was announced, and they got fucked over in that kind of way either. But, um, yeah, like, uh, Rich, uh, can you tell me, like, what, what were your kind of, like, your, your main points on, on when you talked about it earlier? I heard you told me you had already talked about it. Yeah, um, I, I think it was, for me, I was like, yeah, man, this is, this is fucked up that they didn't make it, but there was one team that was going to get fucked in this thing. And as soon as they put that thing in there about the availability and, you know, the injury status of the team, I was like, there's, there's no reason that they would say that if it wasn't going to really become a factor in this thing. And, I was shocked when when they did the 13 and no. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out 
out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. ...thing and, and not let them in. And they, they were like, yo, they're not in. Alabama and Texas are in. But at the end of yeah. the day, we, we know the, the score on this stuff. They want the SEC team in there. Um, yep. And that's just how it is. Maybe this is why Florida State needs to get out of the ACC. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in for where you are. So let's start from my perspective on it, right? Um, my initial watching the thing, I actually laughed. Like I laughed at uh, incredulity, but I wasn't actually like uh, – I wasn't like – I can't believe they did this to uh, to to this team. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start back even further. This particular Florida State team is my favorite Florida State team since the national championship team in 2013. Um, this is a team that I feel like was coached and together and reached its potential as a team. This is not a team filled with uh, four and five star – with fours and five star roster. Now, they do have – they weren't absolutely uh, – put together or made better by the additions of Jaheim Bell and Braden Fisk and uh, and Keon Coleman through the portal over the last year. They absolutely were. But those guys weren't exactly like, you know, some guys come leaving out of Ohio State or Alabama and, and coming over. They only had like, they only played at, Florida, or at their school for like one or two years. You, we're talking about people that like, you know, Keon Coleman got out of his situation at Michigan State, and then next thing you know, this year Michigan State had a fucking you know their coach had a scan had a, had a sex pest scandal, right? Like there's all sorts of uh, you know weird situations. But my, my main point is this: this team, for the most part, was filled with high you know really impact or impact portal guys that like Mike Norvell was able to hit at a, at a rate that like nobody else has been able to make this portal thing work at this level with that kind of success rate of high level players. And it comes back to we're bringing people in that can play, but we're not bringing them in just to get a check off NIL or whatever else. We're bringing them in because they are a fit with our culture. They want to be here. They want to work hard. They want to bust their ass. They're injured. They're not. They're not. You know, checking out of games and they're battling through injuries. Like Keon Coleman's banged the fuck up. He's probably not. He's. It sounds like he's not going to play in the uh, Orange Bowl. Orange Bowl. But he's been out here. He's been out here just out there, just running around with no juice for like about a month now. Mm-hmm. Or since the Miami, or since the week before the Miami game, he didn't even play the week before the Miami game, and he played through it, scored, you know, had the or the go ahead touchdown in the game. Like this is a dude that like has busted his ass for his first year. He's been here, right? Braden Fist, the dude has been walking around on a boot uh, between practices all like you know most of this season. And then all he goes out there and unleashes with him and uh, Jared Verse, like probably the best like combination defensive line uh, tandem I've seen at Florida State since like Peter Bulwer and Andre Wadsworth. You know, uh, we're talking about like you know, an, an all-time combination. Like so, um, I've I've loved this team. I've loved how this defense has gotten better and better and better every single week to the point now where like I think they might be one of the three or four best defenses in the country after like thinking that Adam Fuller need to be fired as best coordinator. I, I love this team. Uh, so it really sucks for to watch all these guys come together. It really sucks for the guys that weren't necessarily transfer guys, but like the guys like Kevin Deloach and the guys that were like they came in, you know. 
with Willie Taggart and the Dream Boy, that kind of stuff, and then they went to shit and then they didn't leave. They stayed. Right? Like the Jordan Travis thing sucked really bad because this is a dude that like loved Florida State and uh, you know, ended up not getting not getting the scholarship to Florida State. He went to Louisville, and then he came here as a transfer. And then, like, he was like, I- "I'll play wide receiver." And Norfolk said, "No, you're a quarterback." This dude was a you know was a semifinalist Heisman candidate, and a dude that broke his leg. And people it's, it's, it think that highly of him. That like that's the reason why this team is not in the playoff. Like, I love this team. I don't think I'll ever like enjoy a team this much. Going forward, as far as like the stories of these dudes coming together in these weird circumstances because of the because of the uh, the because of COVID and the transfer portal and the part where this 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 team of seniors and redshirt seniors are still around, like riding the ship after all this shit happened after Jimbo and with Willie Taggart. So um, I have a real you know I have a I have a huge space in my heart for this this team and this run the last two years of winning ten games last year and then now going thirteen winning thirteen games. So. Um, it really sucks for those guys, but I mourn the season, and you know we go back through the uh, the archive and all that kind of stuff about um, when we talked about full gear that that particular show because it's like I'm watching that North Alabama game and I see Jordan Travis's ankle snap um, thirty minutes before that that show starts and I like I just grab my keys I think I threw something I grab my keys I grab my wallet and I grab my phone and I just go on like a, on a drive because like. The, uh, full gear is starting in half hour, but like if full, there wasn't a full gear, um, I would probably would have drove for like an hour because I was so pissed. Mm-hmm. I was so I was I was so blown. I can't believe that this this shit like this kind of fairy tale season, a season where like I thought all I wanted this season out this year was split with LSU, split with um, Clemson, and that's it. Those between those two teams and have a chance to just make it to the ACC title game. They won every single fucking game and won the ACC. I was so happy for this team, um, and uh, I still am happy to see. I'm proud of this team. And like, look, once that happened, they won the last two games. They beat Florida. They beat LSU. I'm super proud of this team. But push comes to shove. If you ask me, who who are the, is this one of the four best teams in the country? The answer is no. So I so for me, when that decision was made, that decision didn't bother me. What I have a problem with is the week to week polling or whatever of the committee to, to all of a sudden Florida State lose their quarterback. They see him ver- they see the back of quarter versus, versus Florida. He stinks. And he also comes back and concussed. <laughs> right? Then the third stringer, who's a true freshman, who couldn't uh, practice much. He had a, a, a hand injury or finger injury. He's in versus LSU. Go back to the Florida. After the Florida game, saw Tate Rodemaker stink. Why wasn't Florida State dropped out the top four then. That was the time to do it. Those cowards thought that they were going to lose to Louisville and that was going to take care of it so they could have ranked them where they were and left them where it was because when they talk about this, uh, the committee, year after year after year, they don't, they never do, they've never done power ranking before. Power ranking meaning like, who are actually the four best teams? Fuck one team lost some stupid ass game. Who are the four best teams? Is it Alabama? Is it Georgia? Is it Ohio State? Is it Clemson? Is it Michigan? Is it, uh, Texas, you know what I'm saying? They've never done that before. They've always thrown in a TCU or whatever else. So they get to the point where they had the opportunity to see them, see Florida State not score a million points on Florida, sorry ass, bums, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and they had the time right then to have said, all right, they stink, 
and this, and now they're gonna be the third, third stringer. Drop them. Put them down to eighth. They didn't. They left them at they left them at four. So they go into uh, this weekend and they play a top fifteen team in Louisville and they beat them by ten points. They beat a team that was just, it was just as higher or real more higher higher ranked than Texas did. Texas jumps in one week from seven to three. Florida State drops from four to five. Alabama jumps from what uh, was it eight or seven to eight. to four? Eight, uh, eight four. to four. And it's like okay, and Florida State and Florida State is now at five, which is like and and their point is all right. Well, Alabama's better than them because of the injury. Okay, so tell me why are your power rankings. Now, because you just told us the power rankings are not actually about you know the resume, even though you've done resume every single fucking year until this year. Tell me why in your final rankings you have Florida State at five if they stink so fucking bad. Why are they behind? Why are they in front of Georgia? Why are they in front of Ohio State? Interesting. Shouldn't question. they be seventh? Because shouldn't they be? Because by you know by power ranking, they're the worst uh, team with one or zero losses, right? Put their ass at seven. I'm just, yeah, put them at seven. They put them at five. They fuck Florida State. Now, yeah, big time. I now when I first saw the thing initially, I was like, I didn't care because ultimately, it's not. A, I know intellectually that's they're not one of the four best teams. So I'm perfectly fine with that. And you know me, I tend to prefer a team. Um, I pretend I, I prefer them to like if a team is good enough or whatever else, you can overlook a win or or one loss or whatever else as you think a team could smash the other team. Florida State we get smashed by Ohio State. Ohio State is a great defense. Now McCall McCord stinks. He's transferring, but he stinks. So maybe that is a closer game. Um given that Florida State's played on defense, whatever. Uh but Georgia a healthy Georgia, healthy uh, Florida State without Jordan Travis, Georgia rolls. Easily. Easily. I have so I have no issue with none of this of them not making it. But the process of over the hearing the argument is like, I can't it's unjustifiable and it's cowardice. And that and that leads to uh us talking about the ACC stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, it's um, you know, I just thought there was there was nasty scenarios that were gonna leap out yep. any way that that you went about this thing. Like, um, it was gonna be the SEC confirmation bias. It would be the Florida State getting hosed. It would be Texas being like, yeah, it don't matter that you beat uh, Alabama head to head. Right. One of one of those three was gonna happen, and, uh, and that shit just landed on us. Right. And I'm at a point, and I'm honestly at a point where it's like, hey. I honestly feel like if Georgia had beat had won the SC title game, Florida State's in at four because they can't play Alabama in. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's like, okay, they Alabama's lost two games. Their whole thing turned into oh shit, like Alabama's gotta be in here. But Texas beat them. But Florida State went undefeated. For, for Florida State. Jordan Travis injured. That's their logic. Yeah. And like, the, and the, and the thing when it comes to it is like all these, all everybody in the committee always knows that when you have go from the last game of the season of the last or championship uh, weekend to the bowl bowl series, you got 15 weeks of practice. Brock Glenn in 15 weeks of practice, given that he's a third string quarterback, where that was injured, how much practice time do you think he actually got got all year? Probably not much because he probably never took those reps with with the with the ones. Right. So like. He was going to be better than whatever you actually did see, even though he was good enough to win 
to beat a top 15 team by 10 fucking points on a neutral field, but whatever. So, yeah, um, it's time for an ACC talk, you know. Uh, that was one of the things that, that's why I said it was like a, a weird emotional thing for me. Like, one of my one of my favorite things from this weekend before this whole thing happened was, like, to be able to put out that tweet that I put out about, you know, lat- during the summer, Florida State made noise saying we want out, we want unequal revenue sharing amongst the partners in ACC because the TV money for the SEC and the Big Ten is so much more money year to year than what an ACC team gets in its share that it makes no sense going forward for a Miami, for a Clemson, for a Florida State, for a North Carolina to to stay in this conference. But the only school that is willing to that they will say, hey, this is bullshit. Change this, or we're leaving, and you're and you get nothing, and the conference dies. The only person willing to be willing to say this is Florida State. Clemson's is sitting in the shadows, waiting for it to happen. But when it's time to jump, guess who's jumping with Florida State? Fucking Clemson. So, what's happened? What happened over the summer was a bunch of you know Wake Forest fans, Carolina fans, NC State fans said all this shit about what has Florida State done. I'm sorry. We The ACC has won uh, five national times in my lifetime. Three were Florida State. What do you mean, uh, what has Florida State done? Right? You know, oh, I sent you the video. I sent you the video uh, about what Florida State and Clemson has done as just two programs compared to the rest of the conference, and it's, and it's been a landslide. Like, you can say what you want to about Carolina, basketball, Duke basketball, all that shit. The ACC is Florida State and Clemson to further notice. They're the breadwinners of the cash cows of this conference. Um, so, like, y'all don't, they don't want to play that game. Florida State was trying to look uh, a way to get out of their uh, grant rights and then move over. Whereas, whether it's SEC or whether it's the Big Ten, geographically makes more sense for the SEC, but whatever. And, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, college football is full of these insecure communities. In Florida State's, you know, the SEC's like uh, insecurity in general is they were so goddamn racist that they didn't uh, they didn't stop their races from letting them be good, be the best conference in football until ni- until the nineties or yeah. arguably the, the late nineties, right? Yeah. That's their insecurity; they didn't have to deal with it, right? Um, that's why Florida State, that's why Florida ran away with the conference forever, you know. Anyway, um. Florida State's insecurity is they're the SEC school. They're the SEC power. It's not an SEC. And their sister school in the state of Florida gets to brag and talk shit. Meanwhile, they never, ever gone uh, undefeated ever in a single season. They always say, well, you know, if we were in this this weak-ass conference, we're going to defeat it or win one game or lose one game every single year. Meanwhile, well, bro, like, we beat you every single year. What, what What about that? Or not every year, but like we beat you more times than most since Bowden's gotten here. So, so what do you have to say? That is the thing that that that, that need that, that the, the the jab at Florida State is they're the SEC school that's not an SEC. And this shit is finally <coughs> like come to haunt them in like the worst way because people decided fuck your conference championship. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. In the, in the grand scheme of things, Florida State is perfectly fine. 
Like this would never, this will never happen again because it's the last time there's ever gonna be a fourteen playoff. If this were last year, they would not have done this, knowing the the shit that that committee would have to deal deal with the next year as far as ridicule and 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 claims from the public of illegitimacy, right? So that's that's that is what it is. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, like Florida State, there aren't. You know there aren't ten, there aren't nine jobs better than Florida State, and, uh, independent of the head coach. Like it's not like once we've gotten the NIL, it has kind of closed the gap on what it was kind of lacking on behind on, and also Florida State figured out like they're behind the times on the way they were spending out the uh, percentage of football money uh, compared to sports money. If once they solved that up, Florida State is back on track and everything, and they got and they hired the right coach and all that kind of stuff. So they're back on track. They have number three recruiting class after having substandard recruiting classes compared to what Florida State has had in its in its heyday. Um they're trending up. They're still trending up and their NIL initiative um I would say is doing pretty goddamn well since this happened uh, in the last 24 hours or or day and a half. Mm-hmm. Um so Florida State could be perfectly fine. Uh but it was just um it's one of the things to point out like look man Yes, the other day was the death of the ACC. It's going. It may be two years from now or whatever else, but it's happening, and this is what's going to expedite it. The conference is done. It's walking on. Is is a dead man walking? It's going to look like how you know the big tw- the Big Twelve was looking this year with Texas and Oklahoma out the door, looking like the Pac twelve with Oak with uh, Oregon and Washington and USC out the door. It's going. It's going to happen next two or three years. We're headed towards. Two super conferences, two labels, and this is oh, this is what this, this is what killed it. This is what killed it. it. The ACC is dead as a as a as a football conference. It is incredible, man. Just, that's it's unfortunate, man. Like because it's like the, the, the team did what they were asked at the end of the day. Yeah. And yeah. Apparently they were asked something else. It was like, "Hey, they, just just when you uh, think you got the answers, we changed the questions." Yeah, it's like, "Hey, uh, you know, um, you schedule LSU. You went out there and beat it by twenty by twenty one points on neutral field. Okay, great. Uh, you schedule Florida every single year, but they're fucking bums. So they hurt your they hurt you ultimately by by, by being rivals with them this year." In particular, or this particular run, you know, of the last shit, almost fifteen years now. At this point, <laughs> um, Miami, they haven't done shit for you for your schedule in twenty years. Been in the been in the conference since two thousand four. They scored three points in ACC title game history. Damn. Thanks, Miami. Appreciate it. Right. So. Um, that's that's the situation. Like they schedule who they scheduled, their schedule let them down. Oh, and also, you know, another part about this also, when Louisville kicked that fucking game to uh, Kentucky last week, mm-hmm. they went from being a t- they they went from being top ten or ranked tenth to dropping to fifteen. If they had been top ten, it'd been a lot more hard for them to um to ha- to have done this. Be like, wait, they beat a top ten team by <laughs> by ten points. <laughs> you think you're throwing them out? That'd be even harder for them to get away with. But you know, you can say, "Oh well, let's you know, Louisville. They lost their last two. Whatever. They're not that good. So get them out of here. Get them out of here. Get Florida State out of here." So um, you got 
it was funny seeing Norvell. Like, uh, they showed the video, like, almost like Selection Sunday when you show teams on the bubble. And you show them, like, you know, they show the joy of getting in, also the agony and, and sadness of not getting in. Right. So they show, you know, they showed uh, Alabama get in and everything. They showed Texas get in. And then they showed the Florida State th- team. And they showed, like, you know, you see Jordan Travis there in, in, in his fucking cast. And you see him next to Trey Benson. And you see Norvell. And you see Norvell in the white hoodie. And, you know, you see all the disappointment in the entire room, and then you see Norvell, you know, basically rally the rally and say, hey, it ain't over. You know, we got a bowl game and that kind of stuff. But, like, in that was, like, just later in the day, like an hour later, you get the news about the Orange Bowl of Georgia versus Florida State. So then you see, like, Norvell and, and Kirby Smart doing the telephone or doing the 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 um internet uh, conference from their offices. Zoom. And you can see, like, bro, look at these two. Neither I have never seen a, a a you know a New Year's Six bowl game where two coaches don't absolutely do not want to be fucking there because both of them thought they were going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, right. You know, Kirby, so it Kirby, was Kirby Smart, not a black man. Apparently, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if y'all heard that one, but uh, yeah, Rich, 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 because one of our friends, Kirby, you know, been on the show before. He, Kirby Black, I guess he just thought like I guess it's a black name, so he just assumed Kirby Smart. <laughs> I didn't. I just assumed Kirby Smart was black, and I was like, well, and I, and I just laughed at it. But then I thought about it the next day. I was like, Rich, even to tell me that if Kirby Smart had, had been black, we would have been talking about him on the show a lot more often. <laughs> like even to tell me Nick Saban had a, had a, a long term assist or uh, defensive coordinator. That was black. Then gets the Georgia job, and it's not a story about his blackness. And then wins two national championships, and that's not a story about his blackness. No, he'd be the first. He'd be the first uh, college football coach that was black to ever win a uh, national title. He won two back to back. Nah, man. He look, he'd be in the barbershop. Kirby black. Kirby's <laughs> hypothetically black. Or sorry, Kirby Smart's hypothetically black house would have been in the barbershop. Up there with MOK and Obama, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah shoot, and, and in that same picture, shooting dice with Tupac and Biggie and all that. Yeah, correct, correct. He been on the co- look, look. <laughs> Kirby Smart hypothetically black ass and on the cover of Jet magazine. <laughs> essence. <laughs> yes, essence. No, with yes. the family, you know, all that shit. Yeah, yeah. But look, man. Um, yeah, it, it was it was just hard to take this or to see like what happened to the guys and everything that I had watched all this year because like they, I mean, they ride the ship. They flat out ride the ship, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna hold a special place tomorrow. And I thought that like, you know, I thought it sucked that it just happened to them. But like, I get it. But to see the the shenanigans of them like you know doing the power ranking stuff, being inconsistent with from the week to week stuff with it, the results of you know the weekend. Leading to the jumps like that was just like it's shenanigans. Like if I, I it, it's just it makes no sense. Florida State should have been pull, should have been pushed down after that Florida game, and that and I've been fine with that. Be like, all right, y'all get ready for the gut punch that's gonna happen to y'all. For example, you know I'm more in tune of this. I'm aware of what's gonna happen. The, uh, everybody, you know, like I got a I got a whole heap of Florida State fans, and like I you know I'm kind of anti-social at times, Rich, right? <laughs> so. So the, the the woodwork these people came out of to be like, is James okay? James, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? James, what's your opinion on this? Is like wow or not wow, but it was like yeah, man. Like it, either some good shit happened or some bad shit happened. When they start when people start coming out of the woodwork, they text me or message me about Florida State. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
It was one of those weekends. Checking on Floyd Johnson. uh, Oh, he's taking it rough, way rougher than I am. Way rougher. I'm upset by the kids. Floyd's upset about himself. (laughs) 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 And I don't blame him. He has a right to be. He loves the school as much as I do. He loves football teams as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah. Put a wellness check in on Floyd, man. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, all right, man. We'll uh, we'll let you go, man. But um, you know, I did talk about the Okada and WWE or AW stuff, the free agency earlier. Um, talked about the C two and talked about Brian da- Brian Danielson, you know, layer down of law a little bit earlier. But um, you know, we'll get you back on here next week, and uh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll uh, do the full thing. But just want to get you on. With, with yeah. the FSU stuff. Yeah, I hope everybody that uh that, that wanted what they wanted as far as my reaction for me got at least got some anger out of me. I'm not, I'm not as angry as other people. Like I ain't as angry as Mike Norvell. I ain't as angry as the AD. You know, you got you. I mean, bro, we got like Rick Scott and DeSantis and Trump tweeting about this shit. It's 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 it's, it's a lot of strange side. bad fellow for outrage. Look, it, for outrage. Look, it's putting us on the wrong side. So I'm gonna just be like, you know what? They got it. It's all right. You know, well, we, if we got to stand next to Ron DeSantis, you know, I, I'm not really comfortable with this. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't, it was funny because I was like, I was trying to talk Floyd off the ledge. But look, bro, we, we had no chance of winning anyway, so there's no reason to be, you know, this upset. And then he was he was arguing like, nah, man, that's bullshit. Like, they earned the right by winning them two games. It's like, look, you got a point. They did, earn, they did just beat Louisville by 10. And then that DeSantis shit came out. I was like, bro, you don't look, who look whose side you on? You, this what you want to do? <laughs> this what you want to do? This ain't it. Yeah. He didn't respond, so he's he, so he like his answer is yes, I do want to be on that side. Like for this for, for one look, one night only. <laughs> this, this one time special collab. You know. He Floyd Johnson Jr. and Ron DeSantis on the same side of some shit. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's great. All right, man. Yeah. All right, man. Yo. Peace. Yep, later. Alrighty. So, um, yes, they would not let Florida State finish the story, uh, unfortunately. Um, and we could not coexist amongst the rankings. So, uh, I'll jump back into uh, our Dynamite review here. Um, so, the next part brought us to Tony Schiavone with uh, Sting and Ric Flair. And this is like an old school style promo. A lot of focus on um, Shivani and then you know handed off to Flair and Sting. They announced that Revolution is going to be March third at Greensboro Coliseum, the same building where he wrestled the Nature Boy Ric Flair in 1988. Flair was looking, he was struggling with his words, but in the midst of all this, Flair actually did say what I think was the line of the segment. And when he said, "You know, I didn't make Sting; Sting made himself," I think that put Sting over heavy and I thought that was a a really tremendous line from Flair um to really just kind of you know kind of like remove one of the major kind of narratives like it was like yeah Flair just carrying Sting like it, it could have been anybody with that it was like nah man Sting not only held up his end of the bargain but then he went and had 35 years of a career after that you can't give it all to Flair you can give something to him you can't give it all to him. So um, from there, we went into Roosh versus Mark Briscoe, which 
turned out to be one of the best matches in the tournament. Neither of these men have a problem fucking each other up uh, in this. They're going to, uh, you know, Roos is going to wrestle aggressive. Mark Briscoe is not going to get swallowed in any of this. This is a slugfest, lots of chops. Danielson was talking about their determination. And, um, you know, both of these guys were coming off losses, so you could just feel the desperation in both guys, uh, you know, just bleeding through on here. Um, this all, you know, went until uh, Roosh got the bull's horn with the win. It was just like, this was a rough, hard-fought match, and this was like what I was anticipating when I saw these two in the same block. I didn't figure this was going to be a match, a top-of-the-block match. I thought this was just going to be down in the mud, in the muck, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, really liked this match a lot. Uh, I'd probably go four and a quarter on it. Um, I thought it was, um, you know, just just the epitome of like what I want to see uh, at least some of this thing be. Um, we got RJ City backstage. He was there, there with uh, Tony Storm, uh, Luther, Mariah May. Uh, Tony Storm was pissed about her acceptance speech. Uh, she's talking about JFK and the Kennedys and all types of weird stuff. Yes, Seth Rich Rogan. I'm glad you brought that up. Bandito. Another wrist surgery. He's going to be out a long time. Maybe not till like May or... Uh, you know, June. So he sent a long uh, message out about it. But um, as far as uh, Tony Storm, she was just, you know, kind of talking and says she wants to defend the belt next week or she's going to defend the belt next week. They set up Tony Storm versus Sky Blue, a match that we have seen several times. Uh, I saw a promo from Sky Blue. It was not good, it was rather soulless. And I'm just wondering, like, is this like Sky Blue over push? Like, is this a result of like, unavailability of everyone else is this just like yo you're trying to make a new person is it just like a uh is it something i'm missing in the ratings i i, I don't know but tony storm and sky blue has happened dozens or like at least three or four times tony storm has won every one of them they heated sky blue up if you can call it that uh with a single victory in, in a three-way match last week and now she's wrestling for the world title or the women's world title yeah do better MJF uh, then decided to break out of the malaise that he was in. And he did probably one of his best promos in months, like a calendar seasons worth um, of, <laughs> of amount of time. Uh, he brought the cane out and he basically builds Samoa Joe up, talks about uh, respecting uh, him, you know, for not only believing in AW, but, uh, you know, not one to line his pockets. That's why he's here. He's here, you know, because he once had a poster uh, and he was growing up watching TNA and one person stood out from that company, the Samoan submission machine. And MJF mentioned that Joe was not being awarded the opportunity to become a WWE world champion, but proved that you didn't have to be a bodybuilder to be a champion. Joe helped pave the way for guys like MJF. Uh, without guys like Joe, there might not be an AEW and MJF. Thanks Joe, even though that hurts him to do so kept a very serious tone on this. I liked it. Build the guy up and then like say what you have to kind of say. So it either looks like you're winning against somebody worth a damn or you're losing a really tough individual. So MJF from there, he put himself over. Uh, he was, you know, for helping start the new alternative, uh, helping build AW brick by brick from day one. Uh, he talked about everybody that he's beat from Brian Danielson to Kenny Omega to John Moxley to CM Punk. Uh, and the one person that he was lucky to survive against was Samoa Joe. 
December 30th isn't about Joe's legacy, but it's about Max's. Can Max survive the one final boss one final time? Um, and he promised everyone he doesn't care what happens to his body. He's going to show the world is not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight and the dog. Joe wants to take what uh, he's going to, you know, he wants to take him. Uh, he's going to have to put him down. Uh, he broke his cane and then the lights started flickering and all that. We got a bunch of low budget production as four mass men, uh, appeared and, and, you know, one held a bat before Joe made a save. Um, I think this is, uh, the end of the line for Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Um, I, I, I don't see Samoa Joe losing twice to this man in short succession like this. I think there are other people that are being positioned, um, to get up to the championship level uh, around Samoa Joe. So, like, uh, you can probably look at the Continental Classic. Maybe there are people being hidden in there. Um, there, It seems like what MJF and Joe are doing, this is like, I feel like this is a classic. Yeah, man, it, it's time. Because, like, MJF cut a promo where it wasn't fucking goofy. It wasn't stupid. It wasn't like all this uh, rigmarole with Jay White that he was doing. It was like, all right, there's somewhere for him to land when he loses the title, which is all that devil shit that he's going to be occupied with when he loses. So he's not going to be going right for the belt. So he feels right for the picking right here. So, um, Samoa Joe is going to win the AEW World Championship, people. So make peace with it, uh, it or, you know, whatever. But um, that's that's my prediction. So, you know, we'll see. But um, as far as, like, the whole segment, I thought this was a really good segment. And I think that this is, uh, you know, if MJF is going to go on to this, at least it's not bullshit. Hopefully he can put this guy over clean. But you never know. The devil's people might, you know, get involved in this. Um so next week, MJF and Samoa Joe are going to be taking on two of the masked men. I saw a photo that made it look like Mike Bennett and Roderick Strong were two of the people under the masks. And it looked like you can see their facial print through the mask. So if they blew that, that would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> and I think it was, um, you know... I don't know what's going to happen with this match next week, but I hope they get unmasked and we start essentially peeling back the layers on whoever the fuck this is. Warlow killed AR Fox. Of course, that was set up last week. AR Fox still not really um, getting to do much of anything post Wembley Stadium. So, uh, unfortunately, that continues. Then we got the return of Dante Martin. God damn it. An RLPW All-Star, a man who I think will one day be the best flyer in pro wrestling if he's not already that, you know, uh, you know, up on that level already. Um, he came in with Action Andretti, top flight. What a fucking trio. This is right up my alley. Um, they took on the Hardys and Brother Zay uh, when, when Isaiah Cassidy was in there uh, working with these guys. This seemed like, you know, the lightning style 
fast as a blur style wrestling that I love the flips. This is what the trios division should be built upon. Uh, I don't know what the acclaim are doing with the belts, but 60 year old Billy Gunn, if I got to watch him walk around with that title for one more day while brothers like uh, action Ninja ready and top flight are coming out here doing this stuff. If they can just not injure themselves or get any type of bad luck, this is a perfect place to let these guys be fucking spectacular and, immediately I was like, when do we get them in there with, with luchadors? When do we get them in there with luchadors? And then, um, oh, oh, Dr. Larry. Yes, he is. He is action. And ready brother. Yes. Um, but, uh, I was, I was praying. I was like, Oh my God, get him in there with some luchadors. And I think this is going to be great. And then after this match, after Dante gets the pin, gets a huge reception in Minneapolis, uh, you know, looks spectacular off the fucking broken leg. They play the the broken leg video um, ahead of time. And I think people got to, like, stop with this. Why did you play the video? We saw it before, right? Like, they play the video so this guy can come back and be fucking spectacular. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did this. It's to help you get into it more. Like, that's what it's for. So, um I, I thought Dante looked great, and, you know, it was eight months ago. That was one of the nastiest leg breaks we've ever seen. So, um, immediately after that, um, they were getting congratulated on their win. Pentagon Jr., Commander, and Vikingo walk up. One, two, three versus one, two, three. Let's get it. And then um, Vikingo, Commander, and Pentagon got a match uh, on Rampage Book. Uh, to to get a win, so presumably we're gonna get this thing set up uh, between Top Flight, uh, Action Andretti, and Pentagon Commander Vikingo. Just like open up the notebook, put the stars in. Can't wait. So um, up next we had uh, Julia Hart defending the TBS belt against Emmy Sakura. Um, don't have much on this except Julia got a good reaction as her hometown. Uh, soccer is in there uh, in the old Nyla Rose role in there. Just, uh, you know, uh, put people over. Uh, Julia did the moonsault look really bad. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if she was too close or whatever, but uh, match was decent. Wasn't, you know, nothing, nothing really to write home about, but uh, it wasn't like terrible either. So um, Julia gets the T- TBS belt. And I believe she's starting to feud with Abaddon, I saw, which is just like this, as much as the segment with the Luchadors and, um, you know, Top Flight <clears throat> and Axie Andretti was for me, Julia Hart versus Abaddon is not. Like, it's not October. What are we doing? Uh, like, be serious, man. Like, I, I not for me. Uh, maybe it'll stay on Saturday nights, but, um, yeah. Um, from there, RJ said he was with Mariah May. She says she's hungry for more after coming off uh, such a run, uh, and stardom, uh, Mariah May was solid in stardom. So if you haven't uh, seen her work, uh, get ready to, uh, you know, hopefully to give her some good opponents she can work with. Uh, she then like, uh, you know, knocks on TK's office. She disappears, never seen again. So, <laughs> um, from there we got Christian Cage answering Adam Copeland's challenge. And man, I, I talked about it like maybe last week or two weeks ago that I was buying into the big cope stock and I was like, yeah, I'm a buy low. I'm not going to, you know, jump off the, uh, the deep end form or anything like that. But Christian and cope 
deliver another solid segment here. Um, and, you know, their match has been built pretty good. And, you know, they are going to be in Montreal this week. So um, for the CNC belt. So Cage hit behind security saying management wanted to have uh, security out here. Uh, and this is an inverse of that first segment they did where uh, Edge or Cope did all the talking and then Christian comes out with the go fuck yourself. Cage does all this, all this talking, basically talking about December 6th, Montreal, you're not going to make it. He's, you know, going through the long soliloquy of, you know, taking out Wayne and Luchasaurus. And he, you know, was talking about soul searching and basically talking about traveling up and down the roads with it. And, um, you know, they said they became the greatest tag team in history. L O L. Um, you know, he then talked about Cope growing up with a single mother. He didn't have a father figure. Despite being the patriarch of AEW, he's not Copeland's father. He's his brother. Uh, Cage's dad was there for Cope growing up. He's still his biggest fan. Blah, blah, blah. More, more of that. So, like, all this leads up to saying, yeah, man, um, you know, like, basically, you know, he Christian wanted to attack him with the TNT belt. Uh, Copeland hit him with the low blow with the punt. He basically like slid down, you know, caught him uh, before he fell. He picked up the mic, said, nice try, dumbass. And then, you know, he said, shine up the TNT belt real nice on uh, next week because, you know, the belt's coming home with me. And he said one final thing. He said, go fuck yourself. And the person that was on the buzzer uh, fell asleep. They allowed this man to say the entire fuck word, extend it. Uh, I was shocked there wasn't an echo on that bitch. But um, <laughs> from there, uh, you know, this was uh, set up, and this is hot. This is uh, anticipated, and this is a big match. So um, this this has been a, an awesome feud, I think. Then um, this match in the main event, we got Swerve Strickland taking on Switchblade Jade White in a rematch of their match from New Japan Strong. And this was just a match of guys where at very interesting parts in their careers right now. Jay White just coming off, uh, taking on MJF in a credibility rebuild mode, I'd say. Um, Swerve Strickland riding all the momentum beat A.R. Fox a little while ago, coming off the back-to-back wins against Hangman Page, um, coming in, defeated Jay Lethal, and then he's coming uh, in the main event here, and the Minneapolis crowd just turns this guy, um, you know, just gets behind this guy immediately. Um, I would I would pump the brakes on, on saying Swerve is a babyface right now just because he's being cheered for. I think a lot of uh, people are trying to push like he has been turned I don't think that's the case. <clears throat> He's going to be wrestling Mark Briscoe this week, so we'll see how he operates uh, in that match uh, if, he, if he plays the Heat. But it is very um, reminiscent of The Rock in 1998. Everybody knows it. Everybody wants to cheer this guy. And he's um, done all this despicable shit, really. He's done a home invasion. Uh, he's you know kicked the baby face of this company's ass like up and down, choked him out with a chain. and um, But in that, there's something about this guy that is special. People like him, whether it's his wrestling matches, whether it's his style, whether it's Prince Nana and the dance, whether it's, you know, his entire journey of like how he ended up in this position. I think Swerve's a really compelling character for a lot of different reasons. Like you want to latch on to him just as an in-ring performer. You can, you want to talk about somebody that does like, you know, the hardcore stuff. You want to talk about someone that, you know, has passions beyond wrestling, like whether it's the music, Someone that I think a lot of people are going to find 
pieces of themselves in whether like you like what he does like as far as a performer or like yo i have a passion in life that i want to go after too that's in addition to something else i go on and all that but um him and white thought they had like an excellent main event here just felt like a a a g1 match and i i think jay white is much better in these type of situations rather than asking him to go 30 um this is a clean win for swerve uh with that kind of roll through uh off the blade runner uh uh, counter and then uh white actually kicked out of the uh swerve stomp and uh he didn't end up hitting a jml or anything uh but this was like you know uh you know, Strickland got dropped with a sleeper suplex in this thing. And um, this was like, you know, the he did the arm break uh, spot to white. This was just like two guys just, just leaving it all out there, really. <clears throat> and um, good on them for, for doing a clean win here. And Swerve vaults to the top of the block here, uh, tied for with six points with John Moxley, Roosh, and Switchblade, Jay White, who have already faced each other. They're tied at three. And Jay Lethal and Mark Briscoe are at the zips. Um, looking forward, like looking at upsets on this thing, because I feel like somebody's got to, you know, they've got to drop points eventually. Um, you know, Swerve and Mox are eventually going to face each other. I don't know when, uh, but Swerve and Mark Briscoe are facing this week. Maybe to make the points match, maybe Mark gets the win there. Uh, no idea. Uh, I think Jay Lethal is going to, um, <clears throat> you know, he's going to get a win on someone. I don't know who, maybe it's Mark, but, um, I think that, you know, because Jay put over Mark earlier this year, it would be easy to give Jay a a win back on that. So, um, yeah, I I don't know where this is going, but I'm really, really compelled by the Gold League here. Blue League is doing a lot of great work with uh, Brian Nelson, Eddie Kingston. A lot of people saying this is a a great match. Go out of your way to see it, which I still um, am going to be doing. I was traveling over the weekend, so I'm not as caught up on my collision. Uh, but Garcia and Andrade also had a match and delivered as well as Brody King getting a win on uh, Claudio Castagnoli. So this is like, you know, the two distinct kind of parts of uh, this tournament. And man, the C2, I think, is going a lot better than people may have anticipated. So um, don't know how all the stories are going to unfold yet. But man, this thing has been a, been a great ride and um, can't wait to see how it all plays out. But um I guess there's only one thing left for me to do, and that's hit the music. Stardom Wrestling. So, um, we have been intermittently covering stardom with, like, the... Injuries that they've had, our personal schedules, um, and everything else. But there are three matches that have been announced uh, with uh, huge implications. Um, <laughs> what up to my boy, Imp? Uh, Stardom Dream Queendom so far in Ryagoku Sumo Hall uh, is for the World of Stardom Championship. Suzu Suzuki will be taking on Micah in a rematch of the five-star Grand Prix Finals. The Wonder Match, White Belt will be Mirai taking on Sayori Ano. The Goddess Match uh, for the Tag Team Belts will be Tommy Hayashishida uh, and Saya Kamatani, Aphrodite, taking on Nasco Toro and Momo Watanabe. Um, Utami and Saya just won those belts back from uh, Megan Bain and Micah. 
So um, looking at these, uh, you know, matches, these are like, this is a changing of the guard uh, from, you know, the last two, uh, you know, years at this event. We concluded with these like kind of titanic matchups of Tam Nakano and, um, you know, you know, rising up and, and winning matches at the end of the year. Saikamatani rising up and winning matches at the end of the year. Shuri uh, taking on Tommy. Julia taking on Shuri. I think to be fair, uh, it would be, you know, Suzu, Suzuki, and Micah is a completely different kind of match because Micah is someone who has been around, who is rapidly gaining momentum, getting more over. Um, and, you know, you can look at the Grand Prix final uh, where, you know, she was the one that was getting the reactions. And then Suzu Suzuki fits the uh, mode of, new Rossi push um, that has been out there with the uncertainty of this year. A lot of the main eventers kind of been, you know, away from the red belt mix. No Sherry, no Tommy, no Julia. Tam just dropped the belt um, into, you know, with the Suzu or whatever. And no Mayu Watani around. <clears throat> it's like, well, they're going to, they're going to remake this thing drastically. Either it's going to go on Micah, who's, you know, in some respects, like a journeywoman wrestler, like who's been around for a long time, or we're going to put it on a prodigy, like, you know, Susan Suzuki, who is just sensational in my opinion. And I think she is someone that you should go with for the future of this promotion. Um, there is a delicate balance of making, you know, the Micah thing, you know, given that reward, because a lot of people be like, yo, fuck it, you know, just, just do it or whatever. But, um, Suzu, I think is just too, I think she's such a high ceiling prospect. I think if you put it on Suzu, you get her on the ascent, uh, which is always, you know, where you want to really like catch like a new star. You, you get them before they're made so they can, you know, embody your championship. Uh, Zekamaki says Suzu winning would be similar to Utami winning. I think you could say that. I remember when Utami won, we weren't quite sure if she was, you know, at that level to, to begin in. She quickly proved it. Um, so uh, I feel like I'm a lot more sure about Suzu Suzuki than I am, uh, than I was about Utami at the time. So uh, for me, I, I think they should go with Suzu. Um, when James gets back on the show, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Um, and, and go into, you know, what we, uh, you know, kind of think consensusly wonder title Mirai versus Sir Ano. So, um, I'm not too sure of the, of the, of the storyline on this one, but, um, these two have impressed me a lot and they feel like two sides of a different coin, very physical wrestlers, wrestlers that, work well with a variety of, of opponents. And I think, you know, Mariah also fits into the new Rossi push thing. Uh, I, you know, I called uh, her winning that Cinderella back to back because it just didn't feel like anyone else was being positioned, but her to be able to jump uh, you kind of to that next tier. Um, I thought that uh, Mariah had obviously was, you know, getting a lot of shit from people earlier than year, not wanting to really, you know, recognize like her talent and everything like that. But 
Um, Anu is just rock solid as hell, too. This is a rock solid match. It's going to be hard hitting. They're going to beat the shit out of each other, I think. Uh, I'm going to go with Mirai uh, just because, like, you know, he's going to, Rossi going to see this one through, my boy. So, <laughs> um, Goddess tag team match. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Aphrodite here. I think the long term story of Utami and Saya Kamatani is going to carry this promotion possibly later into 2024. There's a huge match between them to be made fresh off the cage match. They're, they're reunited and they come back from injury together. And, uh, y'all know I'm a Queens quest fan. So, you know, Tora and Momo, y'all got to feel it. Odeo Tai got to lose. And, um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll see how this all plays out, but this feels like the first step and, or the next step in, in getting this, this long, uh, title reign established for Tommy and Saya Kamatani keep kind of keeps them free away from the red belt where they can allow someone like Suzu Suzuki to step into that role until it's time <clears throat> for the true elevation of Saya Kamatani and, uh, and getting it back to, to working with Utami. And I feel like you can draw a straight line from that cage match they had earlier this year, which, you know, I love so much, uh, to whatever this thing ends up being. So, um, Looking forward to, to that. That's going to be on December 29th. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to wrap up uh, One Nation Radio this week. So, um, as I mentioned, FOH Draft um, coming uh, soon. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson, um, new, uh, Keeping It Strong Style with uh, – let me try this again. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. <laughs> James normally does this. Keeping It Strong Style with Jeremy and Josh. Chris, um, with, uh, Chris things, uh, the show, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and you know, one nation radio as well. So, um, James will be back probably next week and, you know, we'll be here and all that. So, uh, make sure you guys are sharing the show and, um, there's, uh, a lot of stuff going on on Twitter right now that I'm going to tend to and check out. I, I don't know if people are talking about me or not but we'll see um so you know if you see me dunking on people on twitter and all that i had a good time doing that this past week so um you know i'm gonna just keep you know kicking the real appreciate you guys locking in for the show uh, i was very hard to kind of do a solo show this week very tired and my voice is kind of going right now as i can hear uh but wanted to definitely uh still do a show for you guys tonight and um I'll be on Tunnel Talk next or tomorrow. I'll be recording the show uh, with, with the girls over there, and uh, very excited to do that one. Uh, and it's going to be a different kind of show. So uh, Leah, you know, joined Western Nation Radio. I'm going to go over there and do the home and home uh, there. And they told me they have a lot of interesting and unique uh, questions uh, here for me. So uh, I uh, look forward to that show a lot. So don't miss it. I will be sharing the link. Uh, I don't know when it's going to drop. It's like a bonus episode for them. So, um, yeah, we'll highlight y'all peace. All right, guys, <clears throat> I'm going to have to yank James's audio from the, <laughs> from the Twitch, uh, stream here. Appreciate it guys. Uh, you know, thank you for your uh, kind words in the comments. I, my voice was like struggling tonight. Um, but, um, I, uh, I got to grab the audio because somehow it didn't record James, uh, into, into my shit. So I'm going to have to do some surgery to put it all together. But, um, you know, 
I will get to it. Uh, and shit, I, I think you know I might play some Mortal Kombat One uh, <laughs> after after this shit. Uh, I, my job, I got these like reward points and all that, and I was apparently able to get this for free. So I was like, yeah, let's do that. So. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm going to holler at y'all. appreciate y'all jumping in the stream with me. Um, and, uh, you know, let's jump on the timeline and have some fun. So, peace.